This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. It's Rob, I'm one of the pastors. If you're new with us, I just want to say Merry Christmas and give a welcome to you as well. It's good to say Merry Christmas. It's a great season, isn't it? We're in a series on, on peace, and we're talking about how peace how we need God's peace in a lot of different ways in our lives uh, over the past few weeks, and, and we'll continue to do that series together. And today we're going to be talking about conflict, specifically peace in conflict. And if I could narrow the question even further down, uh, specifically, how do I celebrate peace this Christmas season when I anticipate conflict or I'm in conflict? Like right now, I'm experiencing some, some significant conflict in my life, or I anticipate in the, in the weeks ahead with travel and visiting some people and some family members, I anticipate that there's going to be some conflict. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I experienced uh, a family conflict that we were not prepared for. And it was one of those, I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of a conflict, but it was one of those out-of-body experiences where it was like a car wreck. It was like things are going in slow motion and, uh, oh no, but it's real. It's not, a, it's not a bad dream. This is really happening. This is a really bad conflict. That It wasn't between us. It was, it was, uh, it was involving some other people that we love. And, uh, and it was ugly and it was messy and, uh, and, and, we, and we found God in the midst of the mess, but it was difficult to see, to see kind of where he was in the middle of all that. And, and years since then, we've, we've had a little bit of anxiety uh, this time of year. You know, this one month out of the year, you have 12 months out of the year, and you have this one month where your anxiety can increase because you, you're afraid, is there going to be a conflict like this? Or are we going to experience something like that or similar to that again? And you don't want to. For instance, you could be visiting a family member right now, planning that, who is opposed to you and has voiced that and, and maybe criticized you publicly or privately. Uh, you could be visiting somebody who disagrees with some decisions that you're making, or maybe you have disagreed with them in the past and you're going to see each other. Uh, you could be seeing somebody that you are tempted to bitterness about because of something that has happened in the past and you've never gotten over it. You've never moved past it. Every time you see each other, you're reminded of that and it, it causes some bitterness in you, or maybe you had a bad experience last year or several years ago or 20 years ago, but there's some lingering effects of that and you're afraid of a repeat. You're afraid of that same thing happening again. And, and so, so you're tempted, maybe, this holiday season, I'll just hang out at the snack bar, at the dessert table, I'll just hunker down, I'll just eat a lot of pie and <laughs> pretend that, you know, uh, that person doesn't exist or something. One person in history said, peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. <laughs> and so you might, you might think, you know what, because that's my understanding of peace, man, I'm just going to just get away from it all and just, you know, hang out on, on my phone the entire time. And, and what I want to share with you is what, we, what we've learned from our conflict and what we have learned from years since then is that conflict is an opportunity to encounter God's grace. 
Conflict is an opportunity, a, a unique divine opportunity, not to run from, but to encounter God's grace. And I'd like to propose something to you today from Matthew 5, 9, and it's this, is that Jesus offers a supernatural joy that is found only in conflict. He offers a unique and supernatural joy only found in conflict. You can't find it outside of conflict. You can find it in conflict. And so I'm going to preach just one verse this morning from Matthew 5, 9. It's a it's a verse you're familiar with. I'm sure you've heard this before or you've read this, I'm, I'm certain, at some point in your life. And this is all that we're going to be looking at is in Matthew 5, 9. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives several Beatitudes. And in verse 9, he talks about peace. And he says this, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We're going to see three things in this one verse, and that is a present joy, a future hope, and a significant calling. Present joy, future hope, significant calling. Let's ask the Lord for his mercy. Lord, right here, right at this place of looking at your holy word, we open up our hearts to you. We open up our minds to you, and we open up our lives to you. We ask, God, that you would come and speak your peace into our hearts, Lord, and change us, give us hope, and give us the, the joy that only you can provide. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, let's first look at present joy. Why do I say present joy? Well, you can see those first two words of what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So there's definitely a future dimension to the present joy. It's, it's connected to the future, which we'll get to in a second. But that word are is very significant. It means right now. I don't need to uh, give you an English lesson for you to get that. Blessed are means right now in this very moment is a present tense reality that is open and available to anybody. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, what does this word blessed mean? Because we hear that word a lot. We talk to people, and they might even say, if we ask, how are you doing? They might say, well, I'm blessed. And then they might go into describing why they are blessed. And oftentimes, it's external. It's circumstantial. They'll point to reasons for why they're saying, I'm blessed. Well, I'm blessed because this is what's happening in my kid's life, or this is what's happening in my life, or this is some financial thing that's happening, or, or any number of things. I'm healthy, whatever it is. I mean, we've heard that before. And we've even said that before. If somebody asks us, how are you doing? Sometimes the Christian thing to say is that I'm blessed. And then we start to go into some external reasons why we are blessed. But that's actually not what this word means. It's not an outward circumstance. In fact, if you read all the Beatitudes, you would discover nothing he's talking about would point to some external circumstance for what this word blessed means when he's, when he gives that word for a number of different beatitudes. It doesn't mean outward circumstances. It means a deep inner contentedness not affected by circumstances. A deep inner peace. And, and hear this, it literally means supreme happiness. 
supreme happiness. Now, I I know that when I say happiness, there's going to be some that stumble over that word because of the connotation of the English language of happiness, that it's just surfacey and not real and and really not deep. It's just some, some glittery thing on the outside that kind of comes and goes. But happiness in the Bible, it, it, happiness, the word is throughout the Bible. And if you're honest, you could look back on your life and see that your pursuit of many things in your life is your pursuit of happiness. There's this old theologian, this guy's name was Blaise Pascal, and he said these words. He said, all people seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. And he goes on to describe, you know, even to somebody that goes on to, to hang themselves is pursuing how he understands happiness and peace. This is my only way out. This is my only way to achieve peace or comfort or happiness or joy is this extreme way. But really all, all kinds of ways that we pursue happiness in our lives. And if you were to just kind of take inventory of your past and your history and your present, many decisions that we make are a desire to, to get pain and displeasure out of our lives and to achieve joy and achieve happiness. Well, interestingly, Jesus is talking about a divine happiness. A, and, and by divine, I mean God-given happiness that originates with him, that he is the source of happiness and joy. Now, for many years, I struggled with the idea of how to think about joy and happiness. I don't know if you've ever struggled with that concept or not. See, I understood God to be holy, and I understood God to be loving, but happiness I struggled with. I thought maybe happiness existed somewhere outside of God, maybe based on my obedience, based on how, how well I was doing or performing, that, that God would go to maybe a vault in heaven and unlock the vault and pull out happiness based on how well I was behaving and then drop some happiness on me. And then I needed to get, the, get it while the getting's good, sort of like the Disney vault, because he, he would take the happiness and put it back up into the vault, and that's where it would be until I was doing a little bit better. And then I, I read a, a sentence. I knew that wasn't right theologically, but I didn't know quite how to think about that in the Bible because I'd read some passages about, and you have too, about how, how sin grieves the Lord and how God hates evil. And so there's some emotional language about the way that God sees evil and the way that God sees See sin. And then there's some verses about God coming alongside us in our suffering, that He's well acquainted with suffering, right? And that He has compassion, that He has sympathy, as Hebrews 10 talks about. So, so I would read those verses and I would think that God was on some kind of maybe an emotional roller coaster like me, and that He had highs and He had lows, and He just kind of did this thing all day long, kind of like me, because I'm just this emotional wreck. You know, one day I'm just so depressed, and the next day I'm elated, and the next day I. It just couldn't be worse. Anybody like that in here? Well, that's how we are sometimes, and we're just like this. And then I, I came upon this sentence from uh, an old theologian from the past. His name is Jonathan Edwards, and I can remember where I was when I read it, and I had to read it, and I had to reread it, and I had to soak in it, and I had to see it in Scripture over and over again. I even had to go look up some of the words. We're going to have it up here on the screen 
And he was, he was talking about God's character and talking about his attributes. And he came upon the subject of joy. And he says this, he says, God is infinitely, eternally, unchangeably, and independently glorious, I, I understood that, and happy. And cannot be the subject of any suffering or diminution of his glory and felicity. So I had to actually go look up what in the world does diminution mean and what does felicity mean? And, and it, it made the whole thing even better for me because diminution means dwindling, shrinking. That's what that word means. And felicity means great happiness. In other words, God can't be the subject of any take. You can't rob or shrink down or dwindle down his joy. You can't rob him of joy. We, we get robbed of happiness. We get happiness taken away just in a, in a second, and then it comes back, and then it goes away, and then it comes back. Not with God. No, nothing. He can't be the subject of. You can't push him out of joy. You can't rob joy from him or take it away or shrink it out of him or of his great happiness. Man, I, I wanted to have, you know, I wanted to name one of my kids Felicity after I read this, and then I had all boys, and that would be awkward. Uh, if your name is Fel- Felicity, you've got a great name, because it means great happiness. And, uh, and, it, it, and I had to not just see it in a theologian, I had to see it in the Bible, and I started to, to see it over and over again in Scripture, that God is not only holy and loving, but he is extremely happy and joyful in his love. It is who he is. He does not go outside of him to some happy vault and pull it out and put it back in. It's who he is. It's his nature. I mean, you think about the Christmas story in Luke 2 when the angels interrupt these shepherds that are just minding their business out in a field. Do you remember what they said? They said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, and I wonder if you can finish it, of great joy, of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, these are angels who, when Isaiah saw his vision of God, he saw one angel shout to another angel, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the other angel responds back, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they just back and forth all day long about his holiness. They are consumed with the resplendent glory and holiness of who God is and his majesty and his power. And, and, and here they're saying in the announcement of Jesus, this holy God is going to bring great joy. So through Jesus, God is going to share his joy with the entire world. And man, this is such good news. This really is good news of great joy because we look for saviors in so many places, don't we? Saviors that can bring us joy and happiness. We're seeking for it everywhere. We think we can buy it. 
or we think maybe we can travel to it, it it's, it's in some package, some vacation package that I can afford, <laughs> that's going to, I'll find that, that, that's where the happiness is going to be, right there. Or I can win it. If I can just scratch it, I can get the happiness. I can get that joy. If I could achieve it, if I can just finally get that one achievement at work that I've been passed up on, but if I could get that achievement, if I could get that promotion, then I'll be happy. Or maybe I'll just drink it. I'll just, I'll just, I can't find any other place. I'll just drink it. Here we go. Or I'll just take it through pills or I'll smoke it or whatever. And we're just on this pursuit of joy, great joy. If you're honest with yourself, do you not want great joy? You're a liar if you say you don't want great joy. Everybody wants great joy. It just depends on how you define it and where you, where you seek it at. And here the angels have seen it. They have seen it, and they are declaring to the whole world that Jesus is the place of great joy. And here God is sharing with us a joy, a blessedness that only comes from him. And it's a present reality that you and I can have. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We'll notice that it's rooted also in a future hope. Blessed are the peacemakers. We'll have it up here on the screen for you. By the way, if you want to see it in your Bible, uh, there's, there's uh, the Bible underneath you. It's on page 472. It's in Matthew's first book in the, in the New Testament. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall, notice that future word, will, shall be called the sons of God. Don't stumble over that. Ladies, don't stumble over that word sons. That actually means sons and daughters. Some translations say children of God. The sons and daughters or the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters. Well, here that raises a question. Aren't we already children of God? The answer to that is no, we are not. We are naturally children of Adam. Do you remember the story of Genesis? Adam and Eve walk out on God and his provision and out of a relationship with God. And they basically said to him, we will find our own way. We will do this on our own. And they leave paradise. And we left paradise right along with them. And they had a lot of kids that don't always get along, which is us. And that's us. So we're born in Adam and we're subject to the, the, the temptations of our own sin that we're all born into and the temptations of the world and the accusations and temptations of the devil. In fact, some places of scripture say we're children of the devil because we're children of Adam, because we're subject to his influence apart from God's, God's grace in our life. But then again, the Christmas story, something amazing happens. Galatians 4, Galatians 4 describes it like this. When the fullness of time had come, in other words, when the plan of God was ready to finally be acted on, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's all the children of Adam. That's you and me, born under the law. In other words, we are lawbreakers. We have broken God's law time and again. And, and, and able not to. So we're born under the law. We've not kept the law. We need somebody to keep the law for us. And here comes a Savior, 
to redeem, to buy back those who have not kept God's law so that children of Adam would receive adoption as sons, adoption as sons. So we're not born the sons and daughters and children of God. We must receive adoption based off a redemption that the natural son, who is Jesus, has to live and die for so that you and I could be called sons of God. And then it gets better, Galatians 4 says. Jesus comes, he lives and dies perfectly for us, and then puts his life in us. So because you are sons, Galatians 4 says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So the evidence of this relationship that we have with God is this cry from the heart where we cry out in desperation to our Father and we say Abba, which is a very personal word to talk to God. It's the Jewish, you know, equivalent of something like dad or pop or, you know, something like that. So, so Father, we cry out to him in a sense of desperation. And, and this actually is how we are helped to know that we are children of God, that we are believers of God. We know we are Christians because of our love for him that manifests itself in obedience, not perfect obedience. We struggle, we, we fall, we are tempted. We, you know, it's two steps forward and one step back, but we, we, we hunger for God. We desire God. We call out to God in desperation. We call him our, our father, this is, a, this is, we don't see him, right? We, we don't see him. If somebody says, I saw him, you know, that, that's not, <laughs> don't believe that person. They say, oh, I saw him, you know, and something I ate today. No, that's not accurate. We don't see him, but we hunger after him. First Peter describes it like this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In other words, we can't quite define the joy that we have, but he's put a joy in us and we sing that back to him. We pray that back to him. And sometimes in desperation, we, we say, Abba, Father, help. But we've not seen him, but we, we do that out of our, our love for him. And listen to this. One day, God is going to take the curtain away. So when Peter says we do not now see him, what he's signaling is that one day we will see him. And not only will we see him, we will hear his joy sung back to us. Christian, right now, it may, it may feel like it's a one-way voice. You hear your voice a lot. You hear your words, Abba, Father, a lot. And maybe you've wanted to hear something back from him. Well, in Zephaniah 3, we are told that you will hear his song back to you one day. It says that he will rejoice over you 
with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Loud singing. Can you imagine God in his joy singing, first off? Can you imagine him singing? Secondly, can you imagine him singing loudly, like really loud? And then can you imagine him singing really, really loud over you? Zephaniah says he does that now in a private way. He's singing over us now in a private way, but we'll do it in a public way in the future. But not right now. I can remember as, as a child and then as a teenager, whatever sport I was playing, I didn't play a lot of sports, but I played a few sports, and I can, I can remember hearing my mother's voice through all the people in the stands. Anybody been there? You, you knew her, I knew her voice, and I laugh about it with my brother and sister today. We knew her, she had a certain, she would say, that's my boy, and I'm not going to say it like she said it, but I could hear it, 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 it distinct from all the other people cheering for their kids. And it would embarrass me a little bit, but it would comfort me as well. And it comforted you as well if you heard that. Some of you didn't have, have a mom that did that or dad that did that. But it was a comfort to you. And I can remember thinking, what would, what would overcome a person to the degree that they would say it like that? That they would, for the whole world to hear, say, that's my boy, that's my girl. And now I'm a dad. Now I have three sons. And they are athletes and musicians, and they surpass me already in their abilities. <laughs> and now I, I get it. Like, I don't care what anybody in the stands said, think about me, or say about me. I'm going to say it as loudly as I can, that that's, that's my child, that's my son. And here, the promises, blessed are the peacemakers, for one day in the future, God is going to publicly say, for those who are unashamed of me in this life, I'm going to be unashamed in my Devotion and my affection for my sons and my daughters. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So there is a future hope to this, present joy, future hope. But notice that it's a significant calling. It's qualified by being a peacemaker. Blessed are the Peacemakers. Here's the significance of the calling. Peacemaker means simply this. It's, it's, you don't have to be an expert to know what it means. It means someone who promotes peace, someone who makes for peace, somebody who tries their best to be a promoter of peace. And it's rooted in Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the, the picture of the Bible is the person who gets on board with, with this God of grace and holiness and love and declares who he is and shows that to other people and seeks to bring about reconciliation. That's a peacemaker. 
The, the most biblical, I don't know if, if most helpful in terms of remembering, but the most biblical definition I, uh, I've seen this week in study was a peacemaker is someone who experiences the peace of God because he's at peace with the God of peace through the Prince of Peace, who indeed is our peace, <laughs> Ephesians 2.14. And who therefore seeks to live at peace with everybody and proclaims the gospel of peace. It's a lot. So, it's a thoroughly biblical concept. It's everywhere in the Bible. As you see the word peace or you do a word study on this idea, Jesus is the prince of peace and he ushers in a peace from heaven starting here and then working outward into our relationships, into our jobs, into every sphere of influence that we have because this world is at war with God and there's conflict everywhere. Listen, you can't avoid conflict. Yes, you can hang out at the dessert section of the house, but you're not going to avoid conflict in your life. Ken Sandy in his book, Peacemaker, says when it comes to conflict, we have these extremes that we run to. Uh, on, on one far side of the extreme is an escape response. That's the person who just, just tries to run away from it all. It includes denial, like you just, uh, I just pretend it doesn't exist. I'll pretend that I don't have any issue with that person, even though I don't ever want to look at them. I just pretend I don't, I don't have anything. Everything's fine. Why don't you look at them? I just, I, everything's fine. Leave me alone. That's denial. Uh, flight, run away. I'm just going to run from this person. And, and he even says the extreme cases of this is suicide. I just want to get away from it all. That's the ultimate expression of just running away from problems and conflict. Or attack responses is on the other side of the pendulum. Attack is, I'm just, uh, that person makes me angry, I'm just going to go after them. He calls this peace breaking. So it's either, you know, it's assault, you know, either verbally or or physically. Or it's litigation, I'm taking this person to court. I'm not going to try any kind of mediation or reconciliation. Just let's just go to court right now. And the most extreme, if one extreme is suicide, what's the most extreme on the other side? Murder. I'm so angry at this person. Not just murder of the heart that Jesus talks about, but so in the middle of these extremes is what Ken Sandy describes as peacemaking. And it's just rooted in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us a ministry of peacemaking, of communication, not of denial, but let's acknowledge the elephant that's in the room, and in love, let's approach the need, let's approach the tension, let's do it with peace, let's do it with truth, let's do it with love, let's do it getting the log out of our own eye, let's, let's pursue reconciliation, let's go and show and demonstrate God's peace. A, a, a helpful definition for me would be this, a peacemaker is somebody who courageously steps into a mess to show and share the peace of Christ courageously steps into a mess to show and share the peace of Christ. So I'd like to close this way. Um, You know, Mike Tyson, I heard this recently, said this at one point. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So (laughs) this thing is great. I'm going to quote that forever. (laughs) 
expect to hear that in the future. Just expect it. Um, in other words, you could hear this today, and then you get smacked in the mouth with a conflict you weren't prepared for, and then suddenly you're in the fog, and you just resort to what, you, what you're most used to, running away or assault or whatever. So I wanted to end with maybe a helpful way for you and I to be peacemakers this holiday season. And if none of that stuff applied to you, you just have a wonderful family situation, you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, maybe you're experiencing conflict in your marriage or on the job or whatever, but you're going to experience it some way. So I, I took the word peace and attached some words to it. So if we were to take the word peace, P-E-A-C-E, maybe you, you can see these and uh, remember one of these whenever you are experiencing conflict. Number one is, uh, is P, and that's pray. I don't know if you can read. Can you read those up there? Pray. Pray. First of all, pray. If you don't remember anything about what do I do, my heart's going crazy right now. I'm angry or I'm anxious or I'm fearful or whatever it is. Pray. Just like we saw last week, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. First Peter says, because he cares, because he cares, not because you have anxiety necessarily, but because he cares about our anxieties, cast them on the Lord. Well, which anxieties? I don't know if you can see that. All of your anxieties, all of our anxieties. What about the anxieties that I feel before I really feel those anxieties? Well, you cast those anxieties on the Lord as well, and on and on. Whatever you are tempted by, cast them on the Lord because of his care, because of his love. In desperation, get desperate and pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray ahead of time. Pray, prepare your heart for it. And pray ahead of time. Pray in the midst of it. Pray afterwards, giving God thanks. So pray. If you don't remember anything, remember that one. E, encourage what if you went into the situation you're most dreading with the desire to encourage every single person that you see? What if you just let go of the, the bitterness and the, the feeling like, well, I'm going to be tempted again in this one particular way and just said, you know what, I'm going to do my best to be an encourager. First Thessalonians says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. That's what that word encourage means. I'm going to build up as many people as possible. In fact, that one person I'm uniquely tempted by, I'm going to go and build that person up. I'm going to just do whatever I can to encourage and, and be a blessing to that person. Okay, A, act. Act. I know encouraging is acting, but here I, I really have the idea of, of act courageously. Act courageously. Especially for those who are tempted to run away. Be courageous and act. Romans 12 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's hard to do sometimes. Weep with those who weep. If possible, so far as it depends on you. In other words, you can't solve every issue and don't try to. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Take steps forward into the mess. 
and don't be afraid. Be courageous and act. Uh, C, consider. Pray, encourage, act, consider. When you are, are tempted and maybe something unjust is happening or maybe you're just uniquely tempted, Hebrews 12 says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. There's a very practical reason for that. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We grow weary and we grow faint-hearted because we think we're on an island by ourselves. Nobody understands the temptations that I'm going through or the unique suffering that I'm going through right now. And Hebrews says, actually, consider him because he endured everything that you are presently experiencing, and he did it perfectly. Consider his sufferings so that you won't grow weary or faint-hearted. And the last one, pray, encourage, act, consider. Last one is eat. Just kidding. Make sure you're still, still with me here. Definitely eat. But enjoy, enjoy, enjoy people. Decide ahead of time, I'm going to develop a holy fascination with everybody this holiday season. I'm going to enjoy the awkwardness. I'm going to enjoy the political potential weird conversations that take place. I'm just going to enjoy it all. I'm going to enjoy the people around the dinner table, and I'm going to express God's love for them by my enjoyment of them. By the way, it's difficult to love somebody if you choose not to enjoy them. So enjoy them. First Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. If you choose to love the people, it's going to cover a lot of sin and a lot of temptation. So... We're going to close with a song, so if the, uh, if the band could come on up here, and if you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to take a lot of these truths and sing them back to the Lord. We're going to recognize our need for peace right now in our life. You probably don't have to look very far to realize I've got a unique conflict in my life that I need peace in, and we're going to ask God for His mercy for that. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.